Episode 343, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 4, The Whole World is Watching. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hey everyone, this is Ben. Ben Avery. Here to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm here with... Stuart, how you doing? I am great. Here we are talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one of my favorite topics. And I was very excited to see this episode because they finally touched on some of the stuff I was hoping they'd be touching on earlier about John Walker. And primarily, and we'll talk about comic stuff, uh, I'm sure. Uh, But the comic stuff that, let's see, it would have been 1989, I believe. Maybe 1988. And it was summer. Captain America had given up his shield. John Walker had taken up the shield. And I was reading those comics in real time. And some of the stuff that was happening in that comic was reflected kind of in this episode. But it was very much finally what I was hoping to see, which was John Walker being a super soldier. I've been waiting for it hoping for it i have a feeling we're going to talk about john walker and his super soldieriness well of course we are because this is the episode where it happens but this is the episode um, where it happens here's the thing i'm seeing a lot of people and and actually um agent hank is one of them uh let's see if i can pull up his message uh who are talking about like the differences between john walker and and steve rogers and yeah. it's kind of interesting, kind of, kind of neat to see these kind of things that are getting posted, and this idea of just the differences between Steve Rogers and John Walker, and and who John Walker is. And as they talk about the serum, uh, John and and Lamar, as they talk about the serum, it's you know, would you do it? I don't know. And then it just Lamar says, well, it makes it, it makes you more of you. You know, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of a scary prospect when you really think about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's kind of the idea, like anyone who wants the super soldier serum probably shouldn't have it. Kind of like, uh, I can't remember who said this, but someone kind of famous, I think, said, I don't want to vote for anyone who actually thinks they should be president. You know, so it sounds like a Will Rogers. Yeah, it does sound like a Will Rogers or a Mark Twain. Yeah. Um, I mean, Erskine even said that in 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 uh, First Avenger. He even said that, you know, maybe not in those exact terms, but the idea was he wanted a good man rather than a good soldier. Mm-hmm. And here we clearly have a good soldier with John yes. Walker. I mean, yes. he gets the job done. He does it well. Um, and he didn't even have to get punched in the face by Peggy Carter. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. <laughs> um but he he is the kind of person that if someone says, I'm trying to create a super soldier, 
mm-hmm. then he's the he's the guy you would go to, you know? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I hate to keep re- – well, I don't really. Um, this – I mean, that was in the first Avenger movie also. You know, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones was like, that's the guy. And Erskine was like, no, he's not. I don't remember Tommy Lee Jones's character. He's just Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones because yeah. he's Tommy Lee Jones. Um, but that's but the point. This guy would have been one of those tough, yeah. strong guys who were there, and it's it brings back the the idea of the story of David when David and talking about David from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. but uh, the whole idea of all the brothers are brought out to see who's going to be anointed to be the next king. You know, because King Saul is doing a terrible job. And so the prophet Samuel is like, nope, not this one, not that one. Don't you have another son? He goes through all these brothers and finally, he's, is there no one else? And they bring out David, who's the youngest and kind of the smallest. And um, and that's the one that gets chosen. And it's because of his heart. You know, mm-hmm. the Bible verses, um, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But that's also Erskine looked at the outward appearance and didn't care. Yeah, no, Tommy Lee Jones looked at the outward appearance, but Erskine looked at the heart. That's what it is to uh, rewrite the Bible. But um, <laughs> not, not that I do that too often, but um, <laughs> we went down a very weird path. On that. You're but right. It's, I, but it's that idea of, you know, what's inside is what comes out. So red skull, what's inside is a Nazi and what comes out a super Nazi. And Steve Rogers is a, he's a tough kid who's not super strong, but who is going to stand up for someone well, who's doing something like wrong. Bullies. He does. Yeah. He doesn't like bullies and he, he wouldn't like John weather. Walker, honestly. No, he would not like John Walker. And in all honesty, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of vitriol against John Walker and it's right. I mean, that's right where the showrunners want us. So, and I've jumped on that bandwagon because I am not down with, john walker right and, <laughs> but but here's what i like about it is that's the whole point no exactly you know exactly i love it and i think it's great storytelling um i just i cannot wait for bucky and sam to get the shield back to so that i give it to the dorm dora milage i don't care but just take it away from him no <laughs> i had issues with the dora milage in this episode really i did i did and and it comes down to some of the stuff that zemo had been saying now zemo's actions are not right but some of his motivations are understandable and and the same with carly and and obviously the same with sam and bucky and um and even john walker all of these people have very understandable motivations if not understandable actions especially zemo but yeah, I mean, Zemo basically is saying, you know, any any nation that wants a super soldier is, you know, they're supremacist, you know, or any anyone who wants a super soldier is a supremacist. And um, th- that's very understandable because that that's a nation that's building up strength for war. You know, like there's there's only one purpose to have a super soldier, and that is strength for war now. Steve Rogers, they didn't have a lot of trust in him. And so it was to build up confidence in the war effort in World War II. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to build a bigger gun, why are you building a bigger gun? Now, some might say you're building it so you because you hope you're not going to have to use it, but that never works. It's being built so you can use it if you need to. 
it makes me wonder what would have happened to Steve had he not gone into the ice. You know what I mean? So like he gets out of, he, he goes on that mission he saves all the guys. And then he goes, I mean, and then like two weeks later, he's um, storming the gates of Normandy or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever he's doing. Right. He, he goes up against the Red Skull and he takes that plane and he dives it into the ocean. What if he made it out of that in 1945? Right. Would he have changed his attitude? I mean, the whole thing is that he is a man out of time and that works really well for his sort of folksy down homeness in the in the modern era, especially going up against somebody like Tony Stark. Um, it just makes you wonder. So you're saying would he have not retained that character it, it is certain i mean it, i mean that's the question you're asking is what would have, what would have happened certainly interesting to think about right i don't i think part of what makes steve rogers steve rogers is that he has that to begin with right and when he went into the ice he was still this like young plucky i'm gonna go kill you know i'm gonna uh, do what's right and stand up against um, the Nazis and all that sort of stuff. And had he lived through the end of world war two, the boom Vietnam, the, you know, Korean war, how would his, how would, if at all, his attitudes change? Well, actually what's interesting about that question is you have a whole history of comics that you can use to draw on some of those answers because in the comic books, he came out of the ice, you know, like around or even after uh, or before Vietnam. You know, like there was he came. Well, I guess it would have been after Vietnam. No, six late 60s. Man, I really couldn't tell you the dates, but. Like Watergate, that was mm-hmm. one of the pieces that they used when they were talking about him giving up the shield the first time and he became a, a character called Nomad. Because he was a man without a nation, you know, and he wasn't carrying the shield. He wasn't wearing the red, white, and blue. Obviously, he came back to it. But just this idea of him saying, uh, man, I, I can't wear the flag when I don't stand for what the people who run the nation stand for. Um, yeah. At, at one point... Uh, well, again, back to the comic series that I was reading in the late 80s, he had given up the shield because he was being asked to do things he didn't feel like he should be asked to do. And it turns out that the Red Skull was like part of the government telling him what to do. And it was they did some really cool stuff with Red Skull in that, by the way, they brought him back from the dead, but they brought him back from the dead in a cloned body of Steve Rogers. And so he had matching strength to Steve Rogers and actually had Steve Rogers face even. Um, but then, but did he have America's? Yeah. Yeah. It was clone. <laughs> I mean, it was exactly uh, an exact copy. Um, at the end of that run though, when all the stuff comes out and you realize what's going on and I'm reading this and I'm just like, I can't believe what's going on here because it's just so crazy and so wild. Um, issue 350 uh he has this smoke that he blows on people from his cigarette holder 
that causes them to turn into a red skull faced thing, kind of like the Joker serum, you know, that gives them the smile or whatever. And a smile X, I think. Um, but it gets blown back in his own face. And so his actual face is no longer a mask. His actual face is a red skull on Steve Rogers body for a while. And just the, the whole thing really, I loved it when I read it back then, when I came back to it about 10 years ago, I loved it again and I can't find it in my boxes. So I can't read it again. Now it is somewhere in this house, but we have just moved as I think we've talked about before and I'm not unpacked and I can't find that. Well, I mean, short of looking through Ben Avery's boxes, you could go to Marvel Unlimited and read it. Dear listener, if you would like to do that, we don't get paid by Marvel Unlimited, but it's a great resource. You're 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 absolutely right. I could do that for a month. Uh, do you yeah, want to talk about this episode now? Yeah, I mean, well, we kind of have been. We're talking about themey yeah, stuff that's yeah. happening in this okay, episode. Okay. Yeah. I know you had a chronological note. That's what I do. Let's 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 just we'll breeze through the plot. But you can mm-hmm. stop me at any point if you want to just touch on any any detail, okay? Because we start with a Wakanda flashback where we find out some of the deprogramming was not just Shuri who was helping him, but it was also, and I'm, I, I can't remember how they say it, so I'm just going to say it the way I say it and say it confidently. Um, but part of his deprogram was Io or Ayo. And she was very helpful and we see her go through the entire trigger word list. And at the end, we find out he's been cured. He's no longer programmed. And that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And so he is very thankful. This is good. But also, it's bad because it means he has a relationship with her. He owes her. And she gives him eight hours and then they're coming for Zemo eight hours. So they need to find mama Danya who just passed away in the last episode. And she's going to have a funeral because they believe that Carly will be at that funeral. Carly Morgenthau, who is leader of the flag smashers. And we find out that she has a handful of super soldier serums and she's not sure exactly what she's going to do with them. She starts questioning her plan to create a super soldier army, putting it in air quotes because it's only 20 people, but it's, it's what she's trying to do and stops questioning it though, because she's got to stick with her plan. Meanwhile, John Walker and Lamar Hoskins catch up with the odd couple and Zemo, and they're going to help take down Carly. But Sam wants to talk to Carly. And John wants to just go in fighting. But Lamar convinces John to let Sam do it his way. So we have now another time limit. This episode is basically the time limit episode. Ten minutes. So Sam goes to talk to Carly. It almost works. He almost breaks through. But then John Walker breaks through. He gets impatient. Runs in. Carly runs away. But Zemo has escaped from John's handcuffs. And finds Carly, shoots her, and when she drops the serums, he becomes the serum smasher and crushes them all with his foot. And we get some interesting camera angles from below the floor 
and as his foot comes down. But there's one that escaped his foot, and John picks it up, puts it away before anyone can see. So back at the room, Carly's escaped, the Flag Smashers have escaped, and back at the room, the Dora Milaje, Milaje, Milaje? I think it's Dora Milaje. Milaje, okay. I keep wanting to say Milaje, which I think is the spice from Dune. Uh, but I keep, so I keep wanting to say the door melange, but, um, so please forgive me if I do say that, but it's weird when they start calling out map and, and swiper, no swiping. That's kind of weird, but otherwise <laughs> I think you're right on point. Yeah. The Dora melange. So that is Dora taking the spice, being able to see <laughs> the future. Let's and... not go there. <laughs> <laughs> swiper, no swiping comes out with a, wa- with a water suit. It's just, it's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. And then he's a big, he's riding this big. And the Dora rides the worm. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I can't wait for Dune, the movie. Oh, I, know. I know. That I've... looks so fantastic. I'm really curious. This will be the third Dune on screen. And I'm really curious if, if this one is going to be able to get it more right than the other two. Because the other two both have their highs and lows. Let's put it that way. But anyway. Well, the, yeah, the director, Dennis Villanueva, is really good. So I'm I'm excited for him. Yeah. Anyway, go back to your thing. So, Dormelage, they come. They want Zemo. But our, our heroes aren't going to let them take Zemo. So they fight. And Zemo drinks some tea or something while they're fighting. And, and so... John Walker gets disarmed. His shield gets taken away from him. Bucky gets disarmed. His arm gets literally taken away from him. <laughs> yeah. And Zemo pulls an El Chapo and disappears through the bathtub. So that was really obscure and really funny. So... The big thing, the big character moment here is that John says they weren't even super soldiers. Like they totally defeated him and they weren't even super soldiers. And it's kind of a humiliating defeat. Um, so then we get a conversation or we've, we've had a, one conversation where I think it was Zemo who asked Sam, would you take the serum? And Sam's like, nope, just straight, quick, no hesitation. Answer is No. But John and Lamar have a little bit more of a nuanced conversation and they ask each other, would you have taken the serum? And John's answer is if we had it, we would have saved a lot of lives back in Afghanistan. And, you know, Lamar is talking about how it makes you more yourself and you're a good soldier. And so it would make you more yourself um, you, you're a decorated soldier. I do like some of John's stuff that he's, as he's talking about, like the, the awards he got where he says, I have these three awards to remind me of the worst day of my life. And, but ultimately he takes the serum because the next time we see him, um, he's really strong. Carly calls and threatens Sarah Wilson, Sarah calls Sam and says, she gave me an address or I think it was a text maybe, but you need to go talk to her. And Sam says, take the kids, get out of there, only pay cash because 
Carly has found you and that's not good. So Sam agrees to meet with Carly, goes to meet with Carly to have another conversation. And it is, again, a fairly good conversation where they're kind of just explaining each other's points of view and listening to each other. That's the important thing about Sam. He is actually listening to Carly as he's talking to Carly. But it's quickly cut short. Uh, John Walker comes. He's now super strong. There's a fight. The fight results in Carly killing Lamar. And that's not good. And then John chases her down, but loses her, finds her Fred instead, and kills her with his shield in front of a whole bunch of people with cameras. That's this episode. And I like the way that this episode works. Mm -hmm. It's asking these different questions about, like, would you take the serum? It's asking these questions about being more yourself. There's compromises happening here and everyone's making them and people are benefiting from these compromises. For example, um, Sam decides when they're looking for mama Danya, he's just going and asking people and he's being upfront about who he is and he's, he's not doing the whole, do you know who I am kind of thing, but he is going around and, and asking questions. He's not getting any information. The way that they find her is through Zemo basically mm. bribing children and lying to children. Yeah. And That's so, real good. That's real, real good. I mean, <laughs> no, it's bad, but oh. That's exactly what Zemo would do. Yeah, the, the moment is a good story moment because it's a bad mm-hmm. character thing. Mm-hmm. But then Sam has to go along with it. Because that's what gets them the information that they want. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't get them the information the way that they would want it. And these are good character moments. You're seeing these characters react to each other. You're seeing these characters express their thoughts and ideas. And then you're also seeing these characters punch. There's lots of punchy punch. There is a lot of punchy punching. Um, I have one question for you. Okay. Would you take the super serum? I, it's funny you ask that. I'm actually wearing a Captain America t-shirt right now. Um, and and I think I would. And I think I totally am on board with the emotional state that John Walker has. He is... He's looking at these people who are stronger than him. He's looking at these people before him. He's He's carrying the legacy of Captain America on his shoulders or on his arm with his shield or whatever, but without the strength of Captain America. So he can't do the things that Captain America did and he can't fight super soldiers. And we actually see one of the reasons, you know, Lamar, that was a surprise, a huge, huge surprise. I did not expect Lamar to die in this episode. I don't know if you expected it, but I certainly did not. And no, I, I mean, I thought he was going to be around for a little bit longer, but it definitely makes sense. It's a good story beat. It's a good thing that drives him forward. Well, and it, it reflects this is one of those things where I saying it, it reflects the comic books um, in the comics. You have this moment where John Walker's parents are killed by the watchdogs. By the way, the watchdogs, <sighs> you remember them? Yeah, yeah, those are bad guys. They are. And well, Punisher already took care of them, so it's fine. <laughs> 
And so he goes um, to go save them. And then they have this whole thing and there's a big fight and his parents end up getting killed in the fight. And it, it pushes, it pushes him over the edge and he already was kind of over the edge, but this is a good push that gets him over the edge. And so here losing Lamar, like they've, they've done this in such a way that it sets up a situation where now he goes and, and does something horrible, you know, in, in response, he is, He's an Avenger. He is avenging the death of his friend. Um, in in the literal sense, if not in the good sense. Um, and yeah. So this is where you do see, I think, with him becoming more himself. Yeah. I mean, it's a... <sighs> It's a really tough situation because the the last time we saw Steve use the shield as like a bludgeoning weapon was Civil War, right? And so he he takes the shield, he's going to hit Tony with it, but he only hits him once or enough to disable the 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 heart thing, the thing he's got in his chest to disable the suit. And then he leaves the shield. So, you know, like Hank's, one of the things that I saw from Hank was that he, he put on the, you know, um, this picture of Steve that says I could, or I'm just a kid from Brooklyn and a picture of John Walker that says, do you know who I am? You know, Steve always considered himself just a kid from Brooklyn, just this, you know, ho-hum guy from Brooklyn. Whereas John Walker's trying to step into the shoes of Captain America, instead of being a good man, he's trying to be a good soldier. Well, he's trying to be a good Captain America. And, and when I say good, I don't mean good in the moral sense, but good in the, um, the quality, qualitative sense, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he wants to be Captain America. He wants people to see Captain America. What's interesting, that line, that whole, do you know who I am thing? You know, Sam is walking around and he's not saying, do you know who I am? But people do recognize him. Right. You know? And so as that is happening and, and he's trying to find the, you know, Mama Danya, um, it's again, you see a different personality and, and the whole idea of why would uh, Steve choose Sam to have the shield? Well, I mean, this is part of it. Now, obviously our storytellers, are telling the story they want to tell to get the ideas that they want to get out, you know, and, and the character moments that they want to get out. And this is one of them where they're able to say, okay, here, look at these two people in similar situations, but using their persona in different ways. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought Bucky was going to stop John Walker from killing the guy. I honestly thought up until he actually, you know, did the deed, I, I swore there was going to be a hand stopping that shield, but there wasn't. No. And, and this is where the title comes from. The whole world is watching. Mm -hmm. You have all those cameras on this guy wearing red, white, and blue stars Mm -hmm. and stripes, you know, and representing America in front of the world. And just straight on up murdering soil, someone in anger. By the way. What? 
on foreign soil. Right. Okay. So here's the interesting thing about the Dora Milaje then. Okay. Uh, you have John Walker walking around saying, do you know who I am? And, and basically walking around and saying, I have authority here on foreign soil and, and kind of given authority by the global repatriation council. Then, and, and when he's doing this, you are supposed to say that's bad. You are supposed to be on the side that's that's not agreeing that this is okay, right? He's right. throwing his weight around, he's throwing his authority around, and yeah, you when he says that, no one is cheering. <laughs> no one is saying, Yeah, you get him. You know, they're they're seeing his frustration, they're seeing um his desperation, and 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 it's not a good look. Okay. Then in this episode, there's a cheer line, which I've seen memes of this line, and it is absolutely coming from people who are saying, yeah, you tell them, okay? And that is the Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves. How is that different? Well, the, the answer is we like the Dora Milaje. That is absolutely we the answer do not like John Walker. Um, but both, both of them uh -huh. essentially live by the principle of might makes right. Mm -hmm. They can come in, hold themselves with authority and beat down anyone who gets in their way. But we cheer for them and we don't cheer for him. Now I am not saying it is wrong to cheer for them. I'm also not saying it is wrong to not cheer for John Walker. I am just trying to point out that there is a whole lot of similarities there that I don't know if there was an intention. I'm wondering if in the writer's room they were doing this intentionally or if it's something that they didn't even bother to think about because it's the Dora Milaje. They are awesome. And right. so we want to see them come in and do that kind of thing. Uh, but then if you think too much about it, Zemo, when he's talking about all this stuff with, you know, anyone who wants a super soldier is a supremacist. Carly is a supremacist. The United States Army back in World War II doing their super soldier, supremacists, Nazis, supremacists. I don't like supremacists. I'm going to destroy super soldier serum. Dora Milaje, it might makes right. So, so what's, what's interesting about that is that was the whole point of the Sokovia Accord. Yeah. A big part of it. Right. Yeah. So the Avengers went in to, uh, Sokovia blew up, you know, dropped a whole city on a bunch of land. People killed Baron Zemo, right? That was, or killed all his family. Yeah. Um, so then in, he wasn't a Baron at the time or was he, I don't know. But then, uh, Steve was like, what if we need to go somewhere and fix something and we can't? Or what if they send us somewhere that we don't believe we should go? Steve was also Mike makes right. He just wanted his own hands driving the bus. Yes. And that's where I've, I've not looked closely at some of these memes, but um, I've seen a couple where it's like, hey, don't forget. Steve Rogers also killed people. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, I think the difference though is for me, in my mind, the difference is 
Yes, Steve Rogers absolutely used a gun. But I don't think it was as intense, as graphic. And I'm sure that's just a storytelling thing. You know, when he killed people, he killed he killed Nazis. You know, even though that's what Erskine asked him if he wanted to do was kill Nazis. So it's it's motivation is the difference. Yes. That's so a good way to put it. And, and that's, I guess, a, another reason why I think because remember, I'm, I'm not saying that we're, we, we shouldn't cheer for the Dormelage. I, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we can cheer for them. What is their motivation? They come in and say, we have jurisdiction wherever we find ourselves. What are they talking about? I mean, they're talking about extradition. You know, yeah. like this is them saying, hey, he is a murderer and a criminal and you took him out of prison. And so now we're going to take him back to our prison. <laughs> He's ours now. And it's well, motivation. And, and what was motivating John Walker? Vengeance, anger, yes. rage. And what motivated Steve when he killed people? It was war. It was if I, you know, it's one of those mathematics of life kind of things where, okay, the person that I'm fighting right now for him to die means the five people behind my back right now who are also fighting on my side, aren't going to die, you know, and whether it's right or wrong, it's understandable. Well, the Dora Milaje, I mean, they're, I love them. Don't get me wrong. They're great. They look wonderful. I love that they're, you know, uh, African-American women, you know, being represented on screen. I think that's great. But like you said, their jurisdiction is, is not really, in that country so should they go through the should they go through the right the right processes i mean yes technically they should do we want them to no well but here's the other problem though the other problem is the soil that they are on does not belong to the people that they are confronting so they're coming on what is it? Uh, it's it's uh, Latvian, I think maybe <laughs> not Latvian, but um, Latvian yes, soil. Yes, they're in Latvia. Latvia. They're in Latvia, not yeah. Latveria. So they're on that soil Which, confronting Americans who have a Sokovian who was in jail in Germany, and so who has jurisdiction here? Uh, there's definitely some. It's it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they're going on vengeance too. I think you just said this. They're going on vengeance too because basically, you know, uh, Zemo killed their king, and they want to exact revenge. Fine. But here's the the question: is is it a moral vengeance? Is it a righteous indignation? Are they well, going eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Or are they seeking justice? I think that depends on who you ask. You know, uh, according to them, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But according to, say, uh, well, I I was going to say, like, oh, General Ross. So General Ross would not be okay with them going after Zemo. Unless it suited him his motivation somehow. Yeah, I mean, unless his unless his motivation was was 
you know, I, I mean, he's a sneaky guy who sneaks for sure. Right. So, but General Ross would presumably, Rhodey, Rhodey would be like, no, man, he's got to go back to Germany because that's where he was. Yeah. But again, the question about justice, you know, people define it in different ways. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is a, a code of justice that some people would subscribe to. I know absolutely someone says, you know, if someone hits you, you hit them back, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I pull the class once that when I was teaching, it was just like, how many of you, you know, have been told, um, like if someone hits you, you hit them back right away. And it was over 50%, over mm-hmm. 50% of the class, you know, like this is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth justice is an understandable justice. Um, and the kind of justice that Zemo gets, like he was in a pretty cushy prison and it's easy to forget, like his crime was not just a crime against one person where it was a murder that affected a person and maybe their community. His crime was against like a whole nation on the world stage that created a lot of disruption for a lot of people. And I, again, motivation, what motivates the Dora Milaje, you know, I don't know exactly because they haven't said it exactly other than this is the man who killed their King. What motivates John Walker? It was pure rage. There was no opportunity for anyone to even look at it and say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) We were in a fight and he got in the way. And this is someone who was gearing up to fight and punch someone who is a super soldier. And Lamar's there. Who's not a super soldier. Wrong place, right time. And but yeah, now he's murdered <laughs> and he's dead. And I was really upset. Did you like Lamar? I did. I liked Lamar. I mean, honestly, he needed to be taken out of the way. Mm-hmm. He needed to, for the story to go where it was going to go. It's that whole idea of, you know, fantasy stories for young adults. One of the first things you have to do is get the parents out of the way, whether <laughs> it's you kill them off or whether it's like Lion, the witch in the wardrobe, with the the first thing that happens, you don't even see the parents because the kids are taken out of London. Dad's at war. Mom's in London and they have to get out of there because it's a dangerous place to be. And that's the first thing you do. You get the, you get the parents out of the way so that you can have a story about these kids doing things that kids really shouldn't be doing like fighting wars against a white witch. But anyway, funny, you should mention the white witch oh we're getting there all right (laughs) we're getting there um and so then the next thing you know that's that's fantasy novels with john walker we have to get lamar out of the way because lamar is his conscience lamar is his shoulder angel who's kind of holding him accountable and saying hey sam you should listen to that guy because he has a good idea and it's good strategy. And we might be able to get Carly without, you know, people getting hurt. Lamar says Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. 
And now he's dead. And I was really surprised because in the comics, like I said, <laughs> he's he's John Walker's battle star. He, he's his, his partner. Um, but he didn't die very quickly. I don't know if he's still alive in comics, but he wasn't wow. dead for a long time. So they'll figure out a way. They'll figure out a way to bring him back. Still holding out for zombie Sitwell. <laughs> yeah, I think you can hold out a little bit longer. <laughs> hey, you got your man thing. I got zombie Sitwell. <laughs> but I don't have mine, and <laughs> I also am prepared to never ever have, have my swamp monster. But <laughs> so am I. Yeah, Let's be yeah. honest. I just contend that we never saw a body. So, you know, when, when the MCU has been going on for 40 years, they're going to bring him back. Like we got nothing else. No, they're not because by that time the actor is. That's right. <laughs> he might look like a zombie at that age. So, okay. Let's talk about the lion, Witch in the wardrobe. Let's talk about the white, Witch. let's talk about Trickle Turkish Parks. delight. What? Oh. <laughs> as official light, yes. As Zemo is talking to Bucky and Sam and kind of walking through this whole thing with them where they are going to be making compromises, he's offering them Turkish delight. Which, by the way, have you ever eaten? No, not as great as it sounds. Uh, <laughs> I really don't know what Edmund was thinking in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when he decided that Turkish delight was going to be the thing that would cause him to betray his brother and sisters. But apparently he loved it so much. And in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, part of the issue is that he just gorges himself on it and eats so much of it. And it's meant to be it's, – it's a very – from what I understand – if I made it correctly, that is, uh, it's a very rich dessert and you take it in small portions. Um, when the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe movie came out, they actually had a Turkish delight candy here in America that had chocolate. And I think it was basically like a almost um, fruity center kind of thing. But I have a Chronicles of Narnia cookbook and we did a Chronicles of Narnia night once and I made Turkish delight and it was basically a super sugary, super firm jello kind of dessert. And it was yeah. really, I mean, it gave me a headache because it was just so sweet. So, so sweet. Family of confections based on a gel of starch and sugar. Yeah. So potato and sugar. <laughs> I, I, I personally think he might have liked it a little bit, but the White Witch... You know, I think that was poison. Well, it was absolutely enchanted for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he was like, Ooh, I like this a little bit. And then there's a, you know, a roofie in it. It was like, Oh, this is great. Well, it was magical. I mean, it kept, you know, coming back and and then she tempts him with more and says, I have whole rooms of Turkish delight. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, what's funny about that part is obviously she doesn't like she's making this up, but. Yeah, she could make rooms of it. Okay. Um, rooms, she could make rooms out of it, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's sturdy enough. The, <laughs> the point is, in that scene, like, they are obviously referencing the Turkish delight 
thing. I really do believe that they are putting Zemo in kind of that position of the temptation, the tempting white witch, you know, where he's, Hey, come to my side, you two. Um, and you know, they choose not to or whatever, but then he uses that for the child as well. He goes, then I was surprised he, it was, <laughs> it was Chekhov's Turkish delight, right? <laughs> He brings it out and acts like it's just something he's offering to the people in the room. But then he brings that bag and he it's it's so sinister what he does. And they don't play sinister music or anything like that. But it is just he simply walks over, sits down, pours candy on a little table there outside where kids are playing and offers the candy to a child. And this child then betrays her people, you know, the, the, the people who are there in the refugee camp or whatever. Although I do like the call out where they say, we have no place to take refuge from. We have nothing to take. Re- we don't need to take refuge from anything. We're not refugees, you know, we're, you know, and it's, she betrays uh, Mama Dor- Danya. Now, Part of it is because of a lie. Part of it is because he's saying she's my family, you know, and that kind of thing. But I, I sent a text to you guys almost immediately after I got done watching the episode. I was like, we get to talk about one of my favorite people of all time. Not the white witch CS Lewis. Mm -hmm. I love him so much. I talked about books that I have packed. Guess what's not packed right now. I made sure I labeled my boxes of CS Lewis books. Now, as C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, they all go together. But um, I have shelves of books about C.S. Lewis, books by C.S. Lewis. Um, I even have his book, 16th Literature, 16th Century Literature, Excluding Drama. I haven't read it, but I have it. It's this giant 600-page book that um, someday I will read, but that day is not today. So anyway, I was excited. Here, I haven't even finished the whole Narnia series. Mm. He and and no lie, the book, my favorite novel of all time is Till We Have Faces that he wrote. The last time I wrote, I read it, there was a part of it almost moved me to tears. And this is reading a book that I've read before that didn't affect me emotionally in the same way. The previous times I've read it. This is one of my decade books where every decade of my life, except for the first decade, I've read that book. And, um, and that was not the first decade because that was way beyond me. That was when I was 10, but I was a fan of C.S. Lewis when I was 10. And I was happy to see that some of his writings grew with me. His space trilogy, I adore as old school science fiction. And so, yes, space trilogy. Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, until we have or, and uh, that city of strength. There are three books that take place in space or have space elements, and it's old school sci-fi. It's H.G. Wells, Jules Verne style of sci-fi. Oh. Uh, so, like, the, how do they get from planet to planet? Basically, it's not unobtainium, but it's basically something like that, where it's a made-up thing that allows them to fuel the ship and. And it's free if you're an Audible member, by the way. Yes, and those are... I'm so mad because I actually... This is what I call regret flicks. 
where you buy something and then it shows up on Netflix where you can watch it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought them on Audible. <laughs> and then just two weeks ago, I noticed, oh, they're here. But I wouldn't have been able to listen to them two years ago or whatever. So, well, yeah. Yeah. Enough about C.S. Lewis. So, I gushed so about him. Let's talk you more sent about us that. You sent us that text. And then I immediately sent Samantha a text that says, I bet it's C.S. Lewis. Well, no, you guessed it. Um, you said something that made it sound like, to me, oh, I, knew, yeah. I knew what you were talking. No, I didn't. I didn't want to steal the thunder. I didn't want to. I didn't want to take that moment away from you that you just had. But I, I knew that it was C.S. Lewis. But I'm glad that it was C.S. Lewis, and I'm glad that we can talk about it because I enjoy. I've not read as much of his work as you have, for sure. Um, I don't think I've read as much as you have. Period. But. Uh, I've always liked him. I've always liked Narnia. I've tried to read it several times. Um, and I get through to, I think voyage and then I stop, uh, for whatever reason. Um, what's, what's interesting about the space trilogy stuff is even though it's soft sci-fi very much, it's, it's basically fantasy in space, you know, but he, in that hideous strength, and some earlier stuff, he talks about like morality and science. I mean, it's, it's this mm-hmm. super soldier stuff that we're talking about here where it's, it's the morality of science. And obviously science itself doesn't have any intrinsic moral value. It's how you use it. It's the people who use it and the way the people use it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a big theme in that hideous strength. Um, it's also a big theme in some of his um, correspondence that he had with Arthur C. Clarke and, and some other people where, yeah, he, this, what is the morality behind the science? And, and also he talks about fascism and, and how, you know, is colonizing other planets. Will that just be more of the British colonial mindset where we just, we go in and when we go to a place, we run the place, you know, and that's kind of also getting into this idea here of, um, the Dora Milaje, you know, have jurisdiction wherever they find themselves. Well, Out of the Silent Planet is all about two British guys who kidnap another British guy. and But these two British guys go to a planet where the people seem to be um, uh, uncivilized. And so they decide we are civilized. We have science. We have guns. We're better than them. This is ours. <laughs> you know, your, your world is mine now kind of thing. And... It's, it's the same, it's asking some of the same questions I'm talking about here. And I think it all, in the end, if we're talking about this theme idea of who has jurisdiction, I think it all comes down to motivation and moral, you know, the, the moral right comes from the motivation, not from the, the strong arm. Well, you're, you're absolutely correct. Motivation has, has everything to do with that. Um, where the, where the difference happens is when your motivation counteracts my motivation and, and the conflict between those two things. So you're right. The Dormelage have no jurisdiction, um, in Latvia, um, but they have jurisdiction everywhere. They want to get Zemo because, um, he killed their king. Well, I mean, but like, he's already serving his sentence for that you know he should go back to uh 
to where he was. Now, did King T'Challa send send them? We don't know. We don't know, and that is another question. You know, are is... they there? Are they there because they are lawful in in their own in their own country? You know, did did King T'Challa send down and say, "Hey, go get them." Go get Zemo. He's out. I want him. Or are they just running a secret op on their own? Which could be. Which is what John Walker is doing. Yeah. Yeah. But here's again. I, again, I like the dichotomy that we have between Sam and Bucky and John Walker. and uh, Not Lamar. Lamar is really in between the two. And Lamar is kind of the one who's trying to pull John Walker over to Sam and Bucky. Um, John but, Walker, or Lamar's almost Lamar's almost roadie to 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 Iron Man. You know, he's there to be like, "Hey, I'm going to drive you around and make sure you get to where you need to go." Yeah, yeah, almost. But more, I, I think that he is more of a moral compass. Than, than Rhodey was allowed to be with Tony. <laughs> well, I mean, you'd have to be a pretty big moral compass to have any effect on Tony whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, the difference in the style of how they do things, though, Sam wants to go and talk, wants to go and actually listen. Mm-hmm. And and I love this. And again, talking about motivation, talking about motive and action Sam's action is the one that we need more of in this world. And John is the one that we see that we see more of in this world. John's action is to react. John's action is to punch first, knock them down, then ask the questions, especially if you're strong enough to do so. Sam wants to go in. Sam wants to go in and ask the questions and and he wants to listen to the other side. He wants to understand why is Carly doing what she's doing. And, and that's something I really appreciate is he is trying to understand what's going on with her. He is trying to understand, honestly, in some ways what's going on with Bucky, you know, and he's irritated by Bucky for sure. Um, But that's, that's the difference of what makes a hero to me and what makes a bully, you know, a bully might be able to do something that's right. But if he's doing it as a bully, then it, that's not okay. And and that's, that's the big difference. You and, think, yeah, go ahead. You think Tony's a bully? Tony was a bully sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He was, he was a bully to Rhodey sometimes. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think he was, I mean, I think that's kind of where Sam and not Sam, uh, Steve and Tony had their falling out. You know, Tony was trying to, he felt so much guilt about the kid in Wakanda or not kid in Wakanda, kid in Sokovia who got the city dropped on it. Um, Angela Bassett's son. He felt so much guilt about that, that he tried to push everybody into signing these accords. And that's what a bully does. A bully is someone who is pushing his own agenda, whether it's I want you to feel small so I can feel big or whether it's I'm going to push you and make you do what I want you to do, whether you want to do it or not. Uh, 
that's that's a part of the definition of, of a bully, which is why I would define mm-hmm. what you're talking about with 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 Tony as yeah, there's there's some bully stuff going on there. Unfortunately, and- I'm more on <laughs> Tony's side of this question because what do you what happens when you have all these powerful people and half of them are bullies? You know, John well, Walker is proof positive that you need something holding powerful people in check. And and I think had had John Walker been in that conversation, right, with, you know, say John Walker was Captain America in Civil War, right? Had John Walker been in that conversation, the conversation would have gone very differently and everybody would have signed the Sokovia Accords and there wouldn't have been a movie. Think about if uh, John Walker was there with Steve Rogers. See, this is where I think it would have gone differently. I think that John Walker would have gone along with Steve. Oh, because of idol worship. Right, right. Or even just the fact of who Steve was. You read Civil War and you, I'm assuming you read the part where the Punisher is actually like. Oh, yeah. The Punisher does it wasn't hero worship, but he respected Steve so much that he was on Steve's side. You know? I remember that. That was that was one I mean we Oh I don't know if I can mention this or not. I wanted to see Punisher show up at some point in the MCU and talk to talk to Cap, talk to Steve Rogers. I wanted that so bad. But you know, whatever. Um I'll, I'll t- I'm going to change my torch from Zombie Sitwell to Netflix into the MCU. How about that? Uh, uh, that is uh, much more likely to happen. Let's put it that right. way. Um, so, yes, I would have loved to see that. Be- and I remember talking about on this show how Captain America, Steve Rogers, and Punisher, uh, Frank Castle – were similar in their sort of belief systems, not in their execution of it, Mm -hmm. but in their belief systems, they both had a strong moral code. And I remember, I remember talking about that on this show. So it's past our spoiler policy. Um, It's one of the Punisher episodes. So, uh, but yeah, the moral code is what pushes these guys forward and it makes you wonder what happened in Afghanistan with John Walker. Yeah. Something bad happened in Afghanistan with John Walker. Yeah. And it's really what it's also interesting that you have these common reference points. You know, John Walker wasn't with Frank Castle, but there's a commonality there. Mm-hmm. And it'd be interesting to have those two meet. I think Frank Castle would beat the ever living. Not not this, of, not now. I I I I have my money is on Frank Castle. My <laughs> money is not. Mine is on the Super Soldier, who can break no. Frank Castle's sternum with one punch. Shout out to my friends in high school and our character that we made comics about called the Sternum Puncher. <laughs> But but Frank Castle would have uh, he would just get up and do some more. <laughs> Maybe so. But I, I I mean it takes a lot to get that guy down. 
That's all I'm saying. Here's what I like about this conversation is that this is a legit like geek conversation with right. you know the who's going to win whoever I want to win. You know, however right. the story I make <laughs> goes, that's that's who's going to win. Yeah. Yes. And that is why I did not like Batman versus Superman. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, write in, listeners. Tell us, who do you think would win? John Walker or yes. Frank Castle? Yes. I want to hear these. I want to hear these. <laughs> and what would happen if John Walker punched Frank Castle in the sternum? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Uh, the sternum would break. I, I know that much. What would happen after that is maybe more of the question. But Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, I think I think we've covered pretty much all of my notes. Anything we and missed I, that you wanted to? Talk not about? that I could think of, really. I, uh, I mean, we had some Sharon Carter stuff. She's, I think, she's working for the power broker. Um, it's going to be interesting see who the power broker is yeah i've even heard people say that they think she is the power broker i i think she is the power broker i am one of those okay um i i don't know for sure but i it definitely would make sense to have her be like i don't think she got snapped right i think um so we saw that picture or saw that scene in Endgame where they were showing everybody who got snapped, but it's a false lead because they also showed Scott Lang. So you can't rely on that until you hear them say, I got blipped. Um, you, you got nothing to go on. So uh, I don't think she got snapped. I think she was on the run for stealing you know, wings and shields to save. Bucky from Zemo. Um, and I think she's on the run and I think everybody had snapped and she just faded off into the distance. Um, I do think this is a theory I had and it could be right or not. I do think general Ross got snapped and when he came back, he was sort of on the run and not knowing where to go. And he's going to be the power broker. Oh, wow. And he and he recruited her, and she's like, "Sure, you're a general." I, you know, wow, General Ross, that would make sense too, mm -hmm. because of all of his involvement with the other super soldier stuff. Mm -hmm. Huh? Because wasn't he the guy who uh, created what's the what the who abomination. did Tim Ross abomination? In the uh, in the original, not the original, the second Hulk movie. Wow, that would be super interesting because as they're talking about um, episode five, there's there's talk about uh, some sort of big big star coming in, and while I, I don't, that it, some people are saying it's Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not Paul Bettany. <laughs> and, and Casey, it's not Paul Bettany. <laughs> There are some people, you know, trying to figure out, and I haven't seen too much about trying to figure out who it might be. Um, but one of the things I have seen is people saying it's probably going to be a big star who is the power broker, you know, like it's actually Mephisto is the power broker. Uh, yeah. 
But the the kind of thing that I would expect, and, and I'm not expecting this exact person, but the kind of thing I would expect is like James Earl Jones shows up as the power broker or something like that. But if it was General Ross showing up as the power broker, wow. That and William would be, Hurt's a, I mean, he's a big dude. I mean, he like, is. He's, he's a, a big name. No, I, I would definitely yeah. call William Hurt a big name. And I, that would be so interesting and it would make so much sense. Uh, wow. Boy, unfortunately, this episode is going to come out probably after <laughs> episode five has gone out. And so people are going to be listening to this and being like, how did he know James Earl Jones was going to be the power <laughs> broker? And, or they're going to be laughing because General Ross wasn't, or they're going to hear this and they're going to be like, ah, eh, you recorded this after episode five. And so that's I, how you knew about General Ross. I promise. I hand, hand over my heart that we did not record this after, <laughs> uh, after Friday. It's Wednesday night, April 14th, 925 p.m. That nothing. <laughs> That, that proves hey, nothing. All I got is my credibility on this show. What do I? <laughs> okay, I think people will trust us. But I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If I'm right, I, I don't know what I'll do. But if I'm right, here's I, what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. Okay, okay we need to we put a post on Facebook right now. Hmm? I'm doing it right now. It's Wednesday night. It is okay. going on the ah, people aren't going to understand what it is, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm clicking create post. I am typing James Earl, <laughs> Earl Jones and General Ross <laughs> to timestamp, not James Earl Jones, but to timestamp Stewart's prediction of general ross there you go all right so this is i'm just gonna put timestamp. <laughs> so that there's sure proof that. there's proof that you said the words general ross wednesday april what's, what's today 14th 14th all right and i'm just gonna i feel silly but i'm, I'm posting it proof there i i, I mean <laughs> that's so cheesy <laughs> that's so stupid but, I'm working <laughs> but hard i did for it this no prize, okay i'm what? not gonna get but i'm working hard for this no prize uh, this this is a fantastic theory i love this idea yeah. i love the I, idea for sure yeah uh, i mean i don't know i i hope that it's uh, I, I just want it to be a good story. Like that's really what I want. And I know that Ross showed up in infinity war and I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, and he showed up in civil war and I thought that was pretty amazing because I, we weren't going to see him. You know, we kind of thought after the, um, you know, cause they recast Bruce right, Banner. Right. That, that um, Bruce Banner is not right around anymore, so, but the movie happened. That movie happened right. in continuity. Right. And so I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, maybe we won't see General Ross. And then he keeps showing up. And this would be a great place for him. Oh, man. I, I sincerely hope you're right. I really do. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, 
other than that, I think we need to close this episode yeah. down. I am going to read Hank's uh, messages that he sent over the course of a week. Um, just little things. One of them was uh, the image that he sent. He did. I. It was in our messages. It says, uh, it's a picture of Harvey Dent from The Dark Knight. It says, as yes. Harvey Dent once said, and then it's a picture of Steve Rogers, you either die a hero, and then it's a picture of John Walker, and it says, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Then he is kind of responding to our last episode where he talks about, not my, not our last episode because that one hasn't been released yet, and there's some timey-wommy, widdly-wobbly things going on here to get these episodes done right now, but... He writes and says, my dad took my brother and me to see Star Wars in 1977. He fell asleep during the movie. <laughs> then he says, Ben, you and I can take turns yelling, get off my lawn. Uh, then he says, unlike Steve Rogers, and this is something we talked about quite a bit. Uh, John Walker is a perfect soldier, soldier and not a good man. A reversal of Dr. Erskine's criteria. Um, I think, again, responding to some of the stuff we were talking about, John Walker shares his self-doubt with those with those closest to him and puts on false bravado when he is called upon to be Cap. Steve Rogers, likewise, doubts his worthiness, but subsumes his, doubt, his doubts with a deeper desire to serve others. Walker is more concerned with himself and measuring up to a standard rather than having concern with others. I think that is the fundamental difference. And then he says, uh, Carl Lumley also played an agent in the J.J. Abrams-produced Alias which I, I never actually got around to watching. Who's Carl Lumley? Isaiah Bradley. Yes. And we were talking about all the all the oh, superhero stuff he was doing. The first couple of seasons of Alias are really great, and then the last couple are not. I only watched random episodes of that show. I never really got into it. There was this whole like mythology about you know the secret device that was going to destroy the world or whatever, and then it just went straight off the rails. Uh, so then he says... It is entirely possible that John Walker was in training to be Cap before the shield was donated. He could have just worn the uniform and used the name and be introduced as the new Captain America. Acquiring the shield not only cemented the image, but might not have been seen as necessary. And that would kind of go along with the idea of the senator just seeing the shield donation as a, um, a moment of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Then he says, hello, Clarice. And then, uh, then Hank says, second, the recommendation of Superman and Lois. I like the way Clark slash Superman is written. Probably the best since Christopher Reeve. And that was Hank's uh, kind of response to our episode, uh, Daniel Butcher style. I love Hank. Agent Hank. Keep writing in, buddy. Hank is a, I, I would consider him a good friend. Yes. Um, definitely a friend of the podcast for sure. He actually I, showed up on some episodes in. with uh, with me on Strangers and Aliens. Oh, awesome! He did a couple movie reviews with us. So awesome! Yeah, yeah. He and I are friends on Facebook, and we throw, you know, it, he lives in a very different climate, so we throw jabs back and forth. <laughs> it was snowing today, and where he lives, it was not snowing today. All right, I think that's it then. I think we need yeah. to close this one down. Um, and so uh, we, as we close this down, I have a message for someone out there, you listening out there, you know who you are and you know that you need to hear this message. So listen closely. Longing. Rusted. 17. Daybreak. Furnace. Nine. B9. Homecoming. One, 
freight car. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard from us, now we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail by calling one 5 level 7 That's one 553 Or send us an email to feedback at welcome to level 7com Just don't forget, the 7 is spelled out. You can also go to welcome to level 7com slash feedback and leave us a message there or join us on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash welcome to level 7 The 7 is spelled out. And don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash welcome to level seven, the seven is spelled out, and become a Patreon supporter there. Once again, thanks so much for listening, and Godspeed. What? Those are the activation words. No, I know, but why why the inflection on freight car? I just think it's one of the most ridiculous things in the world. (laughs) It's also the old one of them that makes the most sense because uh of like what happened to Bucky. It's like he fell out of a freight car of a train. Right. My my favorite Easter egg that's not an Easter egg because I can't connect it in any way, is that she says homecoming. Or he says one of his activation words is homecoming and then you have spider-man homecoming yeah there i I don't know what any of these words how any of these words tie in exactly there's definitely some interesting weak connections you could make there like benign is maybe saying you will be benign to us (laughs) and are you still recording uh yeah i am this is a great post credit this is the post credit yeah i guess we're (laughs) This is better than the uh, uh, Hamilton Hamilton joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's really interesting about those is that they're non sequitur, but if but, you search hard enough, you could sequiturize them. So freight car isn't though. Like that's the interesting thing to me is that freight car really does have a, a legitimate tie in to Bucky's mm-hmm. story. Homecoming could mean come back to us you know or, or something like that um rusted could mean you're a broken person uh longing i don't know <laughs> 17 9 and 1 i don't know what those numbers what the significance of those numbers might be um but freight car i just think is so ridiculous until you think about it and it's like oh that's really the only one of these that's really easy to tie in like <laughs> And I don't know why. Was, it, was this said you, it exactly? Like was that. this a common a comics thing? The comics thing was Sputnik and Red Skull. So this is before Winter Soldier, the the movie. Um, when they had Winter Soldier come in the comics, uh, Red Skull knew that Sputnik was a trigger word that would basically cause Bucky to freeze, and so they could use that word to stop Bucky from doing anything. Um, and so this was kind of the movie, I think extrapolating from that idea of this, again, this, this word that triggers an action or something like that. So 
it's definitely an interesting mind twist thing. Um, and what's funny is you go back and watch the, the Marvel's legends on Bucky. They, they sort of go through all of that, but they have, uh, the old guy, what's his name? Um, the world headquarters guy, Sundance kid. Oh, Robert Redford. Yes. They have him saying, captain, we need your, we need your, uh, you know, we need you to do it one more time. And and the the thing that's funny in my mind is the trailer for Winter Soldier had, you know, made that seem like he was talking to Captain America. Um but they 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 twist they, they just twist his brain up, those words. So yeah. <laughs> Freight car. Have you seen Hamilton yet? No, I haven't. 